Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 143 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week, I'm casting the planning net a little wider, share my views on looking after the bees through this cold spell and have some exciting news about supplying Zucan bee feeds. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're all well, staying safe, and like me, hoping that your bees are tucked away safely during these winter weeks. More about the frosty weather in a bit, but first today I wanted to jump straight in and continue the discussion about planning for the new season. Actually, I want to roll the discussion all the way back to thinking about how you plan for the new season first, and then talk about the timeline for achieving what I set out at the beginning of the year. I've always planned the new season with my end goal in place, thinking specifically about the number of colonies I want to overwinter at the end of the season, and in what form that will take, be it full-size hives, overwintering nukes, or, as is normally the case, a mix of both. Apart from having some empty equipment ready for spring cleaning, I try wherever possible to have bees in boxes. It doesn't seem sensible, as a bee farmer trying to produce honey, to have empty brood boxes sat in the apiary, shed, garage or workshop with frames in them waiting to be used. The challenge, though, is that every season I seem to increase the number of boxes that I own, and we're forever creeping up in numbers. There obviously comes a point at which workload becomes an issue, and I have to prioritise exactly what comes first, and as any responsible beekeeper, I'm not going to overextend the number of colonies I have beyond that which I can properly manage. So, with that in mind, this year I'd very much like to build the number of colonies to a number around 120 to maybe 150 at the most. Given the current state of the colonies I have, and anticipating something around a 10% loss this winter, mainly due to the very small clusters not surviving through to spring, we may have a starting point of maybe 80 to 85 colonies in a range of different hive types. At this point, I would suggest you think about your own beekeeping setup and think about what you would like to take into the winter of 2021 and through into 2022. That way, you'll have something to set your planning against. Now, that might be wanting to increase from one colony to two colonies, or from two colonies to ten colonies. You may also be perfectly happy with the number of colonies you have, but want to make some changes to the way that you keep your bees moving them perhaps from 14 by 12 hives into British Standard Nationals or Commercials or even Langstroths. Perhaps you just want to finally be able to spot your queen or take a super of honey off your hive. Whatever your target, now is the time to set those goals and plan how you're going to achieve them. Let's not forget, some beekeepers might also be wanting to reduce the number of colonies they have. Perhaps last season was a swarmy one for you, and you managed to collect more swarms than you know what to do with. Well, lucky you is all I can say, but 
it can become too much, so perhaps the spring task for some might be combining colonies. Regardless of your plan, set it out on paper now and think about how you're going to achieve it. If I'm lucky enough to start the new season with, let's say, 85 colonies, that gives me a good starting point to move forward. As with most things in beekeeping, you have to develop the ability to adjust and amend. If the winter period causes delays or greater losses than expected, I'll make some adjustments to the plans to allow for that. Something we're doing again this year is taking a number of colonies to oilseed rape for pollination. And last year's experience showed that it was the better of the two honey harvests that we enjoyed. So part of my plan is to focus on the spring honey crop to maximise that before we begin to look at expanding colonies through splitting hives. That doesn't mean that any colonies that show signs of swarming won't be taken advantage of, of course. <coughs> I was chatting to our Zoom group at the weekend and talking about how our swarm queen cells are always large, plump cells, well-provisioned and no doubt able to produce some very nice queens. I like to use those where possible, but only from colonies that have the general traits that I want, such as karma, productive bees. I also wouldn't normally take queen cells from colonies that are producing masses all over multiple frames. The perfect swarm cell comes from a colony that was better than average honey production last year, have a reasonable temper. I don't mind frisky bees, but when they actively try to sting, I draw a line. Obviously, they have to be healthy, and finally, have produced maybe between 6 and 10 swarm cells. Now that would be fantastic. Of course, it doesn't happen like that most of the time, but sometimes you happen upon a gem and develop some cracking colonies from them. As usual, I live in an optimistic world and am always anticipating hitting the jackpot. Getting back to the plan, if I'm hoping to have 120 hives by year end, that means 40 plus additional colonies. I need to think about how I'm going to produce these colonies and also make sure that I have the equipment to put them all in. It's a bit like queen rearing for me. Using the Nico or Genta system and producing a raft of queen cells only to find you have barely enough space in queenless boxes for half a dozen queens. Luckily, I'm not short of kit. Now we have the extra honey poor Langstroth hives we just need to populate them with bees and do it at the right time. Again, we're very dependent on the season and the weather that gets thrown at us. But if we have a good start to the season in terms of growth and that all-important early honey crop, we should see the first increases in early May as colonies begin the process of swarming as long as I can get on top of that. One of the jobs on the list to get sorted early in the season is clipping queens. The process of snipping off a small section of one primary wingtip to prevent the queen from flying away. I've talked about it previously and demonstrated it on Patreon videos last year. It's been very effective for me, particularly last season, so it's now part of the general process each spring. And spring is a great time to get this job done, as colonies are smaller and finding the queen is so much easier than if delayed by just a few weeks really. Colonies build up quickly in the spring and can get away from you very easily. Not being able to spot the queen and therefore missing the chance to clip her 
could result in a lost colony literally a week later, so it's worth the effort. This practice is, of course, an individual choice, like so many other things in beekeeping. If you choose to do it, I would suggest getting it done early in the season. If we're going to take advantage of any early season queen cells, I need to make sure that we have the equipment ready for them. By that, I mean nuke boxes. One of the challenges for me particularly, and a good reason why experienced beekeepers say choose one style or type of beehive and stick with it, is I have no idea where those queen cells will appear. They could be in any of the hive types that we have. National, 14x12s, commercial, Langstroth or the top bar hive. Luckily, we have nuke boxes for all of the hive types except the top bar hive. I can feel a request forming in my head for Pete. Bless him, he already has a long list. I better not pile too much up for him to work on. Anyway, we have the nuke boxes. I just have to make sure I have frames of fresh foundation ready to go. And that means ensuring we have enough wax foundation for all the different frame types. You don't generally find wax foundation available in the winter sales, so it's a case of getting it when you can or need it. But again, a little planning ahead will make sure you have the wax on your shelf when you need it most and not when everyone else is clamouring for it and suppliers have run out of stock. Keep it safe and secure from mice, away from direct sunlight, and it will happily sit for a season on the shelf waiting to be used. Another question that popped up at the Zoom meeting at the weekend was how often you should change the brood frames in a hive. The general rule that you'll hear is a third of frames every year, so that after three years you've pretty much completely replaced all of the old wax. For anyone with just a couple of hives, you could easily mark the top bar of each frame with a year date so that you know when it went into the hive, making life simple when it comes to figuring out which ones are oldest. Sometimes, though, the bees will follow their own plans and completely destroy a perfectly decent frame of wax foundation so that it needs replacing within a year. It just means we beekeepers have to be flexible in our approach and not rigidly stick to arbitrary guidelines written down in a book or whispered about in the corner of a meeting room at the local association. Remember those days when beekeepers got together and chatted over a pint in the local village hall? Well, don't fret. We'll soon be back there. And anyway, every cloud has a silver lining. I've always had to drive to our local meetings, so could never have a few beers at our gatherings. These days, I log into Zoom and pour another pint. Happy days. Anyway, back to planning. And to just recap, at the end of the season, I want to have grown my colony numbers to 120 plus. I'm going to achieve this initially by taking advantage of the early season swarming period and make a few splits from those colonies that throw up the swarm cells and at the same time make every effort to maximise the spring honey crop. I've mentioned previously how I'm going to attempt some of that with double brood boxes and colonies without queen excluders. There's so much more to plan for but having a finish line set out allows me and you to start to figure out how to achieve that target. With any luck, my plans for the season will continue to develop and the weather will be kind to us. Talking of weather and my continuing obsession with it, it's pretty frosty out there this week, sub-zero temperatures finally, and frosts to scrape off the truck when I do venture out. 
That means, of course, activity in the hives will be limited to clustering together to maintain sufficient heat for any brood to survive, and also for the adult bees themselves to be able to survive. And that's the biggest issue for me right now. Small clusters of bees will undoubtedly find it tricky to keep warm and some will perish. It's not so much starvation that kills them as the cold weather. If you do find a colony that has died out, just take a look at how many bees there actually are in there. As long as it isn't a disease issue, don't jump to the conclusion that they starved and you're to blame. It might just be that they were too small to survive. Whatever the reason, it's still good practice to get the hive entrance blocked up and move the entire hive at the earliest opportunity to prevent robbing. It also means you can get on top of the cleaning quickly and have it ready for reuse should you need it. If you're worried that the bees may be getting slightly isolated from their food, or you think they're getting low on food for whatever reason, it's always worth popping a bag of fondant on them. There's absolutely no point in not doing it and finding the bees did starve and died for the lack of a few pounds or dollars of fondant. At this time of the year, if the cluster is tightly packed between frames and there's no bees on the top bars, I would suggest adding an eek and placing the fondant cut side down directly over the cluster. By cut side down, I mean when you cut a hole into the pack for the bees to gain access to the fondant, put that open side down towards the bees. I know some people place it the other way up, but the bees then have to move away from the cluster to get to the feed, and they'll be reluctant to move far in this weather. Other than that, leaving the bees to do their own thing and not disturbing them too much is usually the best policy. Finally, talking of fondant, I'm delighted to announce that I'm now able to supply the full range of Zucan fondants and syrups directly to you. That's the Appy Pasta fondants and the Appy Mix syrups. I've agreed with Paul at Modern Beekeeping to hold stock and sell, which will allow anyone in the Norfolk, Suffolk, Cambridge area to pop over and collect. Obviously, at this current time, it will have to be a click and collect service. But once we're through the pandemic, I'd be delighted to pop the kettle on and have a chat. That doesn't mean you can't buy it from us if you're not local and can't collect it. But carriage charges are quite prohibitive and can push the price up quickly. If in doubt, drop me a message via my website. Maybe you could organise a group purchase for the club or association, but I'd be happy to help in any way I can. Check out the website in the next few days for full details of that, pictures of the fondant and the syrup in action, because, as you know, we have our YouTube videos demonstrating the range, and I like the fondants and feeds so much that we use it exclusively. Well, that's it for this week. Check out the links in the podcast notes for more information about the topics today. But until next time, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. (laughs) 